enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We just sang about the gifts that we're sharing together today. And as we begin this month of love, I want to say thank you for the love family. We have a love family, John and Brenda Love, and their son Ethan, part of our church family. Ethan is working on his project for Eagle Scout, and so he gave, and his troop gave the work and the contributions that would beautify the campus that we are now enjoying. And they were here working several days. We move to the next slide, if you don't mind. Uh, working here several days. This is Ethan and Mark, and, and uh, the guys, the troop was working. I just want to say thank you. I don't know if John and Brenda and Ethan are here in this service today or not, but if you are, we love you, we thank you, we acknowledge you. Oh, there you are. Is that, hey, yeah, stand up. God bless you. We're so happy. Amen. Good day. And everybody want to go and find them and give them a hug around the neck before you leave today. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you have joined us. If this is your first time, thank you for honoring us with your presence. Those of you joining us to church online, we pray that God's spirit will meet and embrace you into a kind of a group hug that we share here on on site, and we still have some room here, so we'd love to have you do that with us in person someday. For today, I got to tell you about Jackie and Brandon. Jackie and Brandon are young professionals who've been part of Christ's journey for over five years. Brandon is a commercial pilot, and Jackie is a flight attendant, and they came to me last fall. They were all excited because they were engaged and asked if I would officiate their wedding, and here's the sparkler. She showed me her engagement ring. Look at that. That's something? Yeah, saved a while for that, right? Um, anyway, I told them I was very happy for them, but that as a, I just don't do weddings, typically. You know, what I like to do is build marriages. So perhaps we could get together, we could talk a bit, and then um, see if what I do fits what they have in mind. And I'm happy to tell you that, uh, yes, we did meet a couple of times, and I am officiating their wedding this coming Saturday here in South Florida. Um, but you can imagine how I felt when one Sunday morning they came to me a little bit later and told me they'd lost the ring. Yeah, I know, they'd lost the ring. They'd gone to Kentucky. They couldn't find it. They'd gone to Kentucky and visited a friend. Jackie wanted to be bridesmaid in the wedding. And the friend's family had a horse farm. And Jackie was out helping feed horses one day and happened to look at, down at her hand. And the ring was missing. And so she and her friend just like really looked frantically for an hour. Didn't want to, maybe don't have to tell Brandon, you know, what what happened, and, but they didn't find it, and so now they get everybody that they could scouring the place for 13 hours straight, okay? 13 hours. Then it got dark. They didn't find it. It got dark, so they had to stop for the night. They decided to contact findmyring.com. Yeah, who knew there was such a thing? Well, they, they found they had a professional ring finder come out the next day, but he couldn't find it. He couldn't find it. And so by that time, Jackie and Brandon have to return to Miami because they got work that they've got to be a part of. And uh, that's when they tell me the sad story. Come up here and, 
and said, you know, would you pray that we could find the ring? I said, of course I'll pray. And three weeks later, three weeks later, they go back to Kentucky and uh, to the horse farm and they hire another ring finder. <laughs> and the ring finder comes, gives it his best, hopes are high, still no ring. Couldn't find it. Next day, third time, they call another ring finder. And he says, well, where are you? They say, well, here's where we are. He says, well, you got other ring finders that are closer to your location. She says, I know, and they couldn't find it. And so he agrees to come. He brings like his uh, high-tech, uh, high-powered detector gear, and he's got the headphones and cranks it up and starts looking, and 45 minutes later, he finds it. 45 minutes. Whoa. And it was in some wood shavings in a horse stall, and that beautiful diamond ring, symbol of Brandon's pledge of love to make Jackie his one and only, he bought it, he gave it, she received it, she was wearing it until the day that she lost it, and then, and then until they pulled all the stops, and then they pushed through all the disappointments, and they invest the time, the energy, and the resources to find it and reclaim that treasure. Reclaim that treasure. She told me we're sitting in my office together. I said, you know, yeah, there it is again. Oh, my goodness. Reclaim that treasure. She told me it's a great story now, but at the time, it wasn't. So I want to say to Jackie and Brandon, they're here today. They flew in this morning. And so where are you? I don't know if you're, there you are in the back row right over there. Ha! I'm glad the story turned out that way. Aren't you? And we've got a wedding to do this next weekend. So congratulations to you. But the story reminds me that there are some things that are just so valuable, so precious, and have such deep meaning that you don't just give up on them. Right? You don't just walk away and say, oh, well. No, you, you search them out. And you get others to help. <laughs> as many as will, even professionals if need be. Because the treasure is so valuable that you don't want to lose it. Now, I hope in our new series, this is Love in the Wild, Adventures in Married Land. What a game. Don't you like that? Will give us a chance to do some searching out of our own when it comes to the treasure in married land. The treasure of a real Christian marriage. And it may not be what you are thinking. So we're going to explore some of that, a treasure worth finding, a treasure worth reclaiming. Sometimes in our culture, with all the chaos, with all the confusion, with all the competing voices that are echoing back and forth, it, it feels like, it, this is my feeling here, but it feels like to me, like we're losing a unique, rare, and precious treasure. What treasure? A real Christian marriage. May not be what you're thinking. A treasure worth finding and then reclaiming. Um, because maybe it's just kind of gotten lost in the shavings and, and the uh, dirt on the, barn, on the barn floor. Might be thinking about it. And here's the thing. Though we long to be loved, we long to be known, 
and we long to be in a close, intimate community, we don't really know how. We don't know where to find it. And so we go searching. Does it seem like that to you? Uh, that we struggle through our disappointments, we try other arrangements, we turn to our own ways, we lean into our own understanding. We're trying to figure this thing out as best we can, but, uh, but it's confusing. Wall Street Journal, of all places, uh, one of our men sent me a story from them about a week and a half ago. Wall Street Journal carries a story on polyamory. Do you know about polyamory? That's the word that means consensual non-monogamy. Or I say it another way, it means a multiple partner marriage. Okay, Wall Street Journal? I'm thinking, man, I mean, the sexual revolution has been unleashed for a long time and like a Pandora's box has just infested our culture. But now, individual autonomy and personal sovereignty to the extreme seems to be our Pandora. And every one of us gets to be the Pandora over the box. And yet, we're living more isolated lives than ever. To the point that the United States Surgeon General has now declared an epidemic in America of loneliness. Yeah. Is that the lonely alarm going off? I know one of our staff will let me know if there's anything that we need to vacate on. Okay. I guess if I had my phone with me, it would be doing that. So if, if you're feeling led, go ahead and leave and take your alarmed phone with you. Because I got something I really want you to pay attention to here. Thank you. Amen. Speaking of Pandora and how once something has happened and then and yet it doesn't turn out the way we think. So now we have this epidemic of loneliness. Not again, come on. That is accompanied by depression and anxiety because we don't know how to make sense of it. And so our world, in a world of confusion and revolution where it feels like anything and everything that can be rebelled against is being rebelled against, I want you to know that it's not my purpose today to itemize all the alternative viewpoints that are being advocated in culture. That's not the point of this talk. What I feel called to do, and maybe God could grace you to listen and hear what I'm trying to say, is... Um, to invite you to break out your high-powered detector and put your spiritual sensitivity headphones on and search out the unique, rare, precious treasure of a real Christian marriage. One that you might decide is worth finding and worth reclaiming and worth investing in redeeming a, a real Christian marriage, what, what is it? And why, why does it matter? I mean, really, what can it mean for you? So what I'm not, let me also put another boundary here. What I'm not trying to do is defend the civil contract of traditional legal marriage. I'm not opposed to it. I just 
want us to think beyond the human construct of a social institution, okay? Because you know, in a representative democracy, lawmakers can call anything they want legal as long as the voters will allow it. So I'm not talking about legal marriage. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about a social convention on a human scale. I want us to look from the biblical perspective and from Jesus as God in the flesh talking to us about what? About holy matrimony as a gift of God for the human race. Jesus spoke of matrimony, holy matrimony as a gift of God. A gift coming from God to the human race. And it's the divine antidote for loneliness. It's the prescription for family and a future. It's a growth opportunity for deeper meaning and impact that will continue for generations and generations. This is how Jesus spoke about it. The message, this message, what I'm hoping, you'll be the judge. But what I'm hoping, this message will be an affirmation and a validation of the adventure romance love story of male-female, one-flesh marriage from a real Christian perspective. And then what I'm thinking is, once again, you'll be the judge of this, that understanding it is going to help you. It's going to help you if you're married, potentially. It's going to help you if you're unmarried, if you're never married, if you're formerly married, if you're unmarried and plan on never being married, I believe, imagine, you could still benefit by imagining with me what Jesus means in Matthew 19 where he speaks and says this, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, A man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. That means be joined, be glued, connected to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Jesus never spoke of marriage without speaking about one flesh, uniting. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, that means what God has connected, let no one separate that uniting together it the word translates joined or glued or and it was even used in medical terms to talk about uniting wounds uniting wounds and i can tell you this after being married to a beautiful lovely woman whom is god's gift to me that we both brought wounds into our marriage and that the wounds can sometimes still show up. And it was just intriguing to me as I prepared this talk to think, oh Lord, you were way ahead of us, weren't you? You know the wounds. And you have a plan for them? Yeah, and he he says, so what God has joined together, let's don't let any anthropos, it's a generic term for humanity, separate that. Empty that. Let's search that out. Okay, you've heard those words before, right? But what do they mean? And what is a one flesh marriage? What is God giving us in this? And I'm thinking, well, maybe John Legends is is trying to say it when he sings all of me, right? Loves all of you. 
That's a Bible thought. Because in the Bible, your body is the container of all of you. Everything that you are and present to the world comes in your body. What does that mean? That means when you give your body, you're giving yourself. So what are you as a self? Well, the real Christian understanding, I'm talking about Jesus' viewpoint here, is that you are an image bearer of Almighty God. That you are made in his likeness by creator. That's why he takes us all the way back to creator. Just lost some juice here, I think. We're having fun here today, aren't we? I'm thinking this is a more important message that we probably ought to pay attention to. Is that on my end or yours? Vicki, you got some counsel for me? Okay, well, I'm going to keep on talking. Oh, there I am. Okay. Maybe this would be a good time to start praying if you haven't or to keep on praying and don't quit because I'm not going to. Um, so what are you? You are an image bearer of Almighty God. Jesus takes us all the way back to Creator. You know what? You can't get out of the first chapter of the Bible without the Scripture telling you that you are not just a mass of materialism. You bear the image of Almighty God. You are made in His likeness. And that's what Jesus is quoting in Matthew 19. He says in chapter 2 of Genesis, he says that God formed man from the dust of the ground. That means that we came into being as humanity by God's design and then we're given a body from pre-existing matter. So science is talking to us about what scripture says here when they try to tell us that. We, we are material. We do come from elements. But the Bible goes on and says you're more than physical material being with a little chemical explosions going off. It says that then God, God breathed into the nostrils of humanity the breath of life. The word breath here is speaking of spirit life. It's also translated mind. So the mind, spirit life of almighty creator God was blew, blew his life and mind into humanities. That's what this is saying. And it was like a, a hot wind blowing against coals would ignite. And then that fire ignites. So you become, humanity becomes a living nephesh. That's the word translated soul. And throughout the Bible, you'll find it translated like self or desires or emotions or um, uh, passion, appetites. And so what we learn in Genesis 1 and 2 is that Human beings have three vital parts, body, spirit, and soul. The human being is physical, so we are a body made from pre-existing matter, but we are spiritual, we are made alive by God's spirit breath back in the beginning. And then it says emotional. We're full of desire and passion and appetites and feelings. In other words, you could say it this way. You are a spirit with a soul in a body. That is a real Christian <laughs> viewpoint for humanity. And so Paul closes his letter to the Thessalonians with that, what kind of a reference point tagging up with that. Here's what he says. May God himself, the God of peace, that means the God of wholeness, 
who puts all the pieces together. He says, may the God of wholeness sanctify you through and through and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, all of you, through and through, be sanctified from the inside out. Now, being sanctified, what is that? That's a word that comes from the word holy. That means having all of us be set apart for all of God. Does that sound familiar? All of you loves all. The original idea of being known and loved is here. Being set apart for God. To fill and to bless with wholeness. And so when God brings Adam, brings Eve to Adam. You know what Adam says in Genesis early chapters? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What does that mean? It's like he's having this aha moment that uh, he is finding more of who he is in her. And she is finding more of who she is in him. In an all the way deep way. I mean, deep as the bone, but full of flesh. And it's taking him home to a greater body, a larger soul, a shared spirit. So I'm thinking a real Christian marriage is growing intimacy in all three depths. Is that what you were thinking about when, you, when I said, oh, real Christian marriage? Because that's, that's what Jesus speaks of in Scripture from the beginning. It is a uniting of bodies. It is a communing of souls and emotion. And it is an entwining of spirits. How does that happen? What is that? Spirit intimacy. A knowing, growing intimacy. That's what a real Christian marriage is an ever-deepening communion with an, with an image bearer of God designed for connection, male and female. And so Jesus never ever talks about marriage without talking about a male-female, one flesh union. Sharing the life, breath, mind of God's spirit, the deep emotion of God's soul through a union of two physical bodies, one male, one female, and that union is called what? One flesh. So today, Jesus has let Adam and Eve be the couple that educates our adventure in married land journey. Each week, we're going to be learning from couples in the Bible. Next week, Samson and Delilah are going to be paying us a visit, Sarai and Abram, be paying us a visit. The title is Because It Doesn't Stay in Vegas. I, in, I invite you to join us, see what the Lord tells us then. Uh, but that's the foundation of building um, a relationship. I, I, I want to offer it as the first of four takeaways for us today. First, treasure yourself as an image bearer of Almighty God. There's the foundation for building an affirming and validating marriage where both partners value themselves as an image bearer made in the likeness of God and as a result now value each other in that way as well. Lisa and I were talking about this this week and you know I've suggested to her before that perhaps referring to me, since I'm a son of the Most High God, referring to me as your Royal Highness 
would be one way we could do that. And then, of course, I would respond by your majesty. And so far we haven't tried it. But that's what he's talking about here is valuing one another and seeing yourself in that sense. Here's the second application. Reclaim your spiritual connection with creator God in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing Jesus thought about when he thought about marriage. He said, in the beginning, the creator had this in mind. The creator of the cosmos, this amazing mind of God. Spirit mind. And then, so tag up with your creator spirit God. How do we do that? Well, the real Christian knows that we do it through abiding in Christ. Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, gave his life on the cross, rose from the dead, that he would give his spirit to come alive in us. Why? Well, one of the application points is for a relationship connection. But what a real Christian knows is that because of rebellion, human rebellion and sin, something died inside human beings. The spirit is what the New Testament says has died. So though our emotions are all over the place, we don't always have any sense of spirit life or spirit reality. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And so Jesus said this when he was talking to a religious teacher. He says, you know what? You need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit. Here's what real Christians know who are seeking God's will in their marriages. That if you want to have a thriving and alive spiritual intimacy, you got to be alive spiritually first. So it starts by knowing Jesus Christ as your risen Savior and being filled with his Spirit. And then when God's Spirit comes alive in you, then you start experiencing some life change in your character and your your soul, your emotional life changes, which would be the third takeaway here. Cultivate the fruit of God's spirit in your soul. God's life comes alive in your spirit and starts affecting your soul from the inside out. What does that mean? Well, he brings these fruit, the New Testament says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Can you think of any relationship that wouldn't benefit by having these in it? Think of any marriage that couldn't take it to another level if it didn't have these in it? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, come on. What kind of marriage do you want? Why does it matter? Well, when spiritually you've come alive and now soulfully it's showing up in your emotional life, hey, boy, those wounds that got woven together that my wife and I brought into this relationship, Jesus says, you know, my spirit is coming. My spirit is going to guide you into all truth. My spirit is counselor. My spirit is comforter. The gospel is good news, the medicine of healing and forgiveness. And his spirit applies it in the human heart, so then it shows up in a human relationship. And then Jesus says, so you're going to have peace of mind. That means wholeness of mind. And then wholeness of heart. These are resources for good mental health. If you look up the word, if you search the word online, good humor, then you're going to find concepts like this. Emotional well-being that leads to holistic living. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to you. A pastor friend of mine said some years ago, Lisa and I were at a conference, we heard him say this, you know, my wife and I have two priorities in our marriage. We want to make it last and we want to make it fun. And we said, oh, that sounds good to us. We adopted it as our own. We've been working on that ever since. And this is the way you do it. The Holy Spirit helps you do that. 
helps you to grow in your emotional self-awareness and in your emotional healing and then the courage to be vulnerable and transparent about your feelings, to let another person into your feelings. That's risky, scary, especially if you've been hurt, you've been rejected, you've been ridiculed before. And maybe somebody here is thinking, well, Bill, that's not just for married people. I got to say, you are so right. You are so right. This is for Christian people. That's why I said this is a real Christian marriage. The Holy Spirit helps you. This isn't just for married people. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps you be more personable. He helps you be more good-humored. He helps you be more approachable, more pleasant, more humble, more forgiving, more, should I say, would it be legit for me to say this? The Holy Spirit will make you more marriable. The Holy Spirit helps you be easier to live with. The Holy Spirit, this is what's happening here. And then marry Abel to give you resources to go places that you you want an intimate marriage you you long for spirit to be known spiritually and to be healed soulfully and then to share personally that's what this is about and so maybe a final takeaway for married people is this grace and embrace the one flesh uniting in your marriage like i said jesus never spoke of marriage without talking about male and female one flesh Uniting, becoming one flesh, gluing together, connecting. This is the core definition of holy matrimony. Now, we know marriage isn't only about sex, but it's not real Christian marriage without it. God blesses male-female sexuality as the place where deep knowing is exchanged. And that's why in the early chapters of Genesis, it, it says, God, Adam knew his wife Eve. You're reading along and saying, well, I'm glad they finally got acquainted. (laughs) No, that's not what this is talking about. And it's not a euphemism for that other word that we don't want to say out loud. (laughs) Right? The word is the word yada. Yada. And it refers to a deep connecting of being fully known and deeply loved. Now, I think Seinfeld made a joke from the word. Maybe you know it as yada, 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 (laughs) right? But the joke is this, that this concept of deep knowing and being fully loved, when you trivialize it and make it sound like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then that's the joke. See the joke? But in the scripture, yada is not meant to be left as a joke. It's getting known and loved personally in a relationship that involves all of you. Because your body, which you give to another person in Christian marriage, is about uniting your soul, communing in spirit, and the body union is a testimony of that. And God blesses that. The act of marriage, making love, in a real Christian view, is where a man and a woman fully and freely commit themselves to each other for life and create a safe place for each one to show up transparently. 
and then share oneness of body, soul, and spirit in the full favor and blessing of God. And I hear that in chapter 2, verse 25, Genesis chapter 2, where the, the scripture says, the man and wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Can you imagine a world without shame? Can you imagine a relationship without shame? God can. And he imagines it in your marriage. This, this can, can you imagine? I hope. Because this is the gift of God that he wants everyone to enter. I just, I don't, don't do weddings. You know what I'm saying? But I like helping couples that want to understand what a real Christian marriage could be like as we bring our wounds and as we look for a safe place and as we want to be known and we want to be loved and we want to love another and don't want it just to be about us, right? That this is the way. And that's why I pray this for every couple at Christ's journey. I pray it for every couple that I am privileged to officiate their, their marriage. I pray for every one of our families, each couple in our church, an adventure romance that in all of its drama, and there'll be plenty of drama, but that it will be full of growth in knowing, in intimacy, and then wild, messy fun under the smile of God. And before I leave, I need to uh, tell you something. Maybe this is another thing that you don't realize. All throughout Scripture in the New Testament and Jesus himself in John 17, he said, this is eternal life, to know you, Father. It's the same concept, yada, to enter into a spiritual intimacy where God knows you and loves you and where you respond by knowing God and loving God. And Jesus said, this is what eternal life is. Paul said, this is the one thing I do, that I, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It wasn't just about get my sins forgiven and give me a ticket to heaven. No, it was about letting God know you and then knowing him. And perhaps that's why Paul in Ephesians says, I've got to tell you, he's talking about marriage and husband and wife, and at the very end he says, you know, this is a great mystery, but I'm really talking about Jesus and us. God wants to know you. God wants to love you. And God wants you to yada, yada, yada him back. Would you pray with me? What is he saying to you? His spirit is speaking to somebody. Relationships grow by trust. That's why Jesus said, believe in me. Trust in me. If you want to know God more deeply, you can say that to his heart right now. Thank you, Lord, that you want to know me. I want to be known. I don't want to hide. I, I want to be loved. I don't want to be full of myself. I want your love to show through my life and bring me the fullness, the whole blessing through and through in my spirit, soul, and body. And that's the place to start, brother, sister. 
Then if you're married, I would say you start with you, not with your partner. And you remember your value before God. And then you cultivate as you come alive in the spirit, if you haven't been born again yet, then let's start there. But then as the spirit works in you, then you cultivate those traits and allow his spirit to work in your emotions to bring you into a healing place. And don't leave out the union of your bodies. Jesus never did. When he was speaking of this, he said it's core. So what is it, sister, brother, that God is speaking to you about bringing to your husband, to your wife. As we pray, Father, your favor upon every one of our marriages and couples. For others that are listening, that are considering, that are, that are working through these things now, I just pray inside, I pray that I will not have gotten in the way, but that your truth can ignite a new fire within them perhaps, and that they will want what you want for them. And maybe today you've realized that you can't have spiritual intimacy because you don't know if you're spiritually alive, really. But you'd like to be. And so here's how it happened for me. Years ago when I dawned on me that I was separated from God and I didn't even fully want to admit there was a God. So I said, God, if you're real, watch over me. And then within 24 hours, I was praying this, Jesus, forgive my sins, come into my life. I believe you died on the cross in love for me, that you rose from the dead so that now your spirit can come alive in me. Take the throne of my life and lead me as I grow to know you better. Is that your prayer today? Forgive me, Lord, come into my life, lead me, be my savior. And if you prayed that with me, then I want to invite you now to just, our heads are bowed. You can just lift your hand and hold it up for a while. Let me, give me a chance to look across the room. If you're joining us online, please drop it in a text there. Um, and then brothers, sisters, join me as we pray for those that are saying yes. To my left, I'm looking to the back, all the way back in the corner and then here against the back row. God bless you. Thank you again, another. And then here in the middle, right here up front, God bless you. To my right, toward the back, once again to the front on my right, amen. Are we praying together now? Lord, for each person whose hand has been lifted saying, my heart is open to your presence. Come into my life, make me alive, Spirit God. Forgive my sin, heal me. And Lord, I pray your blessing of awareness upon each one of these new sisters and brothers. Would you help them feel the love, the joy, and the peace that you promise for our healing and our eternal salvation. In your name I pray, amen.